The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we are talking about Battlestar Galactica uh, with Garrett, who is a radio astronomer from Dorchester. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. So, Battlestar Galactica, yes. what do you love about it? Oh, so many things. I think the best way to describe it is actually in, because I like a lot of sci-fi. Uh, you know, I grew up on Star Wars and Star Trek. I like both. Mm -hmm. um, and I think actually Battlestar Galactica has a lot of the best aspects of both of those things. So it has a lot of the, the kind of philosophical kind of looking deeply at kind of human issues, but with a lot of the action and excitement uh, and the drama, kind of the space opera-esque aspects of kind of Star Wars. Right, right. Uh, and I think I'm, it really marries those things really well together. And it's it's very addictive. Like the very first time I watched it, I watched it after the original series had played. I had actually gotten the series as a gift to a friend of mine. And I just happened to start watching the first episode kind of as a, well, I'm having trouble falling asleep. Why don't I start watching this thing? <laughs> and I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> I like over the course of about three days I did nothing else but watch the entire series. Oh my goodness. And the like the spin-off movies and the webisodes and and it was just like oh my god this thing is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a favorite character? I think probably my favorite character would be Hilo. He's probably one of few characters who kind of is consistently very conscious about kind of the moral actions that he takes. And sometimes that also includes getting into trouble. He's a very, he's one of, I feel like one of few characters who, who tries to do good, but is, he's not quite an idealist. I wouldn't, wouldn't go that far, but he's definitely one of the very few characters who I think really, really tries to constantly be doing good and not compromise his beliefs. Yeah, that's, that's really kind of his defining characteristic. Mm -hmm. He's the sort of person who, he's able to kind of see both sides, the Cylons and the humans right. and he's able to kind of recognize without much prejudice which side has the good point mm -hmm. at any particular time yeah he's really great so much of this series is about war most of this series about <laughs> war is about war and the realities of war how well do you think that they address that so admittedly i've never been in war well that's uh, yeah so, uh, I <laughs> me neither to, i have to admit that uh first and foremost but i think it does a really good job of not glamorizing it of actually showing and in fact one of the things that i appreciate about the series is that if you kind of look at it from beginning to end and you actually track the kind of basic day-to-day -day problems and kind of the state of the fleet and the things that they're facing at the very beginning of it they're really because it's not it's not just about war right it's it's also kind of about this this knuckle drag down fight for survival kind of thing where right right constantly on the precipice of extinction and the things essentially that they have to do to you know survive through this mm -hmm. and i think they i think they actually do a quite a, a good job of making it making it feel real not making it feel glamorous or not kind of overly gory or overly kind of contrived i guess right. um, or sensationalized right but you it is kind of funny watching things you know like one of the first episodes deals with a shortage of water right and the and the drive to get kind of water across the fleet and you know they're talking about well maybe we have to reduce people's showers and towards the end of the entire series one of the big crises that they're facing is actually running out of a shortage or having a shortage of food right and people fighting over crumbs and you see you know people literally emptying out
out wrappers of things and like licking out the tiny little specks of whatever you know protein bar or whatever else right right uh you know taking stimulants to kind of suppress appetite it feels like the whole group has become understandably so more grizzled as time has moved forward and you get a sense of how much this entire experience essentially has weighed down and has had its impact on the people they're not just it's not the same people facing the same problems day after day it it becomes clearly more challenging as time goes forward which i imagine is kind of what war is like right it's a very grueling a very exhausting thing yeah so i would say i think it portrays that aspect very well that's one of the things that i i really like about the show that it is very honest Mm -hmm. that being in that situation being in war or being in a position where you are basically existentially threatened that the whole entire human race will die if you don't make the right decision what results in that is all of these questions and these moral decisions that are really hard to make how do you feel about how they kind of deal with those moral questions? I So I, I really like it. I will say one of the things, so I love Star Trek, as mm-hmm. I have previously said, but one of the things that I always felt kind of ambivalent about was that there was never, I mean, there are times when in Star Trek the Enterprise is under threat and things right, happen. Right, right. But there aren't there aren't necessarily consequences for actions, right? The the Federation exists in this idyllic universe, like everything is great for them, and they're really having to see these issues in the societies and the peoples that they meet. Whereas every conscious decision that the colonists take, you know, they can take a moral stance or they can continue to live, but they can't always do both. Right. Um, and actually, one of the one of my favorite episodes, which has Hilo in it. Uh, (laughs) happens when uh, so the the colonists basically discover that the Cylons are vulnerable to this illness that was around I guess 13 or somehow or many hundred years prior right right. um, and that the humans had over time built up an immunity to but for the Cylons it was in fact deadly without treatment and so you know there's an episode essentially that the entire premise of the episode is the colonists formulating a plan for hopefully this is not a spoiler for anybody listening but spoiler everything we spoil everything (laughs) uh so you know when the cylons die they get resurrected and the humans figure out that if one of these infected cylons that they've discovered on the ship that was hit by this virus uh if they die they'll go back to the central uh resurrection hub and that will in turn destroy not just the cylon fleet but essentially the entire cylon race right right and there is a big i mean the whole episode kind of goes back and forth between you know should we do this is this moral is this acceptable they did this to us first right and kind of watching I mean, it is very interesting to watch how the different characters react um especially watching then admiral adama and uh president rosalind because you can you can kind of clearly see that adama throughout the entire series is not not a softy no. um he's <laughs> he's definitely and has been you know has spent his entire life in the military right fighting the cylons mm-hmm. i can't remember the name. i think it's blood and chrome is the name of the like webisode miniseries that shows him you know essentially as a young pilot uh mm-hmm. fighting in the first cylon war this is a guy who i think has all the reason in the world to hate the cylons and you still see him kind of struggle with is this an acceptable thing to do right. to kill off an entire race of beings even if we are in the state of total war with them and forces Rosalind to give him the order to execute this plan right he doesn't object to it and he doesn't take it any further than that but it is kind of interesting to see even in this state of you know where they're desperate for relief people not wanting to give up the things that they feel like make them human because and in fact you know it's one of the premises of Baltar's uh, presidential run, right, that his entire announcement is centered around, we don't want to, you know, the Cylons don't understand freedom. We should embrace these things that make us human and embrace this freedom and not give it up because if we give it up, we're no longer fighting for our race or our species survival because that that species has already ceased to exist. One of the things that I find really interesting is that we see Battlestar Galactica making, and all the people on it, making all of these really tough decisions. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of times when you're like, I'm not sure I would have made that choice. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like, oh, wow, you guys like abandoned this one ship. And is that really cool? But then you have Battlestar Pegasus 
show up. And you have kind of this contrast between how Battlestar Galactica is doing things and how the Pegasus is doing things. And it really shows you that, yeah, they've made a lot of hard calls and they've probably done some things that weren't exactly moral. But at the same time, it could have been so much worse. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the whole arrival of Pegasus, especially after, you know, Pegasus arrives, I think, only half a season after there's the initial effectively coup right, that right. Adama stages against Rosalind. Watching Admiral Kane, you could kind of feel that Admiral Kane had Adama been allowed or had he continued on the path essentially that he had started earlier in the season you can see him essentially very much being in Admiral Kane's shoes it makes I mean it makes Adama I think a much better character that he doesn't go down that path but it is very interesting essentially to see that contrast and also to see people kind of redefining what it is exactly that matters. You know, Adama is very much, he's a military person. He likes everything in order and he likes, you know, his own defined areas of responsibility and command. And, you know, obviously doesn't like this thing that Rosalind did, which was to basically cause one of his most trusted people to not quite mutiny, but to go AWOL on this separate mission. Right, um, right. When there was a critical threat, essentially, that he was facing and was losing a, a person and a resource that would have helped him essentially deal with this immediate threat and rescue the people who uh, were stranded down on the surface of this planet, Cobol. Seeing him kind of slowly change his mind over the course of, I mean, it was multiple episodes but realize that maybe the thing that matters the most is not necessarily the like the command and control of of this fleet and everything but it actually keeping the fleet together and keeping them together as a family was actually the most important thing and him realizing that and trying to do things to make amends to the kind of destruction that he had begun to push the fleet towards yeah he definitely has a lot of loyalty towards you know his people Mm -hmm. in a very kind of you know family sort of way they matter to him in a way that the people don't necessarily matter to admiral kane like you know at one point uh she has i think it was was her her second in command who uh refused one of her orders and she shot him right then and there and said okay you you're my second in command go do which is something that Adama would never do. Right. And sometimes that's not exactly to, you know, his benefit. There are times when he definitely gives people uh, the benefit of the doubt when they definitely don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And it causes him some problems. But at the same time, it also is a great strength to his command mm-hmm. that he's able to to treat people like family. And then in return, they're able to give their own loyalty in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole that whole sequence of things that happens in the it basically in the beginning of season two with the everything that happens with Rosalind, I think he begins to realize essentially because he it's made clear that he regards everybody on Battlestar as part of his family. I think he begins to realize that, no, the entire fleet has kind of become his family and him kind of allowing that to expand, even though it includes people that he doesn't necessarily think very highly of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, this is, doesn't just happen once, but it happens multiple times with multiple groups of people. When the Cylon rebels join, he... Yep, yep. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> when he realizes that his first officer himself is a Cylon. Yeah. Uh, when he has to recruit the, you know, the people who stage a mutiny against him so he can go rescue the daughter of one of his, uh, one of his flight officers. He does very much try to, I think, expand that family and and try to defend them and basically do everything he can to protect them yeah Some, sometimes yeah. at his own personal and uh, professional <laughs> detriment it's true it's true yeah one of those characters who is i want to say like right on the line of like is morally gray but no he totally goes into the you know, morally dark range as uh, richard hatch mm-hmm. um who we see at the beginning is on a prison ship because he's you know a revolutionary and he bombed people mm-hmm. and stuff like that And then he winds up becoming kind of, you know, a popular leader, runs for president, I think, at one point. I don't think he actually wins. I think that's when Baltar... He doesn't ever actually run. He he concedes, essentially, that he can't win. Right. Um, And so he basically pushes Baltar to to begin running. Right, right. With the idea that he'll be vice president to President Baltar. Right. And, you know, we all know how that went. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, from the beginning, you know that this 
this guy is trouble. And you go through, like most of the show, kind of wondering where he's going to come down. Is he actually a, a good person? Is he going to do good things? And then he winds up being one of the leading forces of the mutiny against Adama and against Rosalind. And winds up being executed along with Galen. Gata. Gata, yes. Zarek is kind of an interesting character uh he's all right richard hatch is the actor is the actor ah, uh, okay who yes. played apollo i think it was he did he did yeah which is uh, fantastic <laughs> <laughs> um he you know he starts off i mean it's made very clear essentially that he's not a good guy yeah uh, in the first season there's nothing he's ever really directly attached to that is necessarily bad aside from the you know the the terrorist bombings that he does although i think the series does try to paint it in the light of like you know he was a freedom fighter there he was fighting for a cause and so it's not i won't say that makes him a good guy but it, <laughs> it tries to kind of keep him in this gray area right there are definitely there are other characters who are like you know no i'm from this place where that he's fighting for right. and you know he's absolutely a hero yeah but uh i think the the interesting thing about tom's eric is that he more than anything else he really just doesn't want to die yeah, and that's I th- true. I think he's, I mean, at several points, he's just out of his mind with panic about something happening, something blowing up the fleet, and feeling like his actions are justified, essentially, because they're trying to circumvent this much, much worse potential thing. Right. So, like, the, you know, having this secret squad of people who were essentially killing collaborators with the Cylons when they were down on New Caprica. Right. Uh, the entire mutiny itself, he felt, was justified because Rosalind had gone missing and he felt like orders were coming from Adama directly and nobody mm-hmm. was listening you know basically military control had seized control of the fleet um, feeling like the Cylons were being allowed to roam free on people's ships you know he never I don't think he ever does anything he does want power and I think he definitely wants power but I think that the power is a means of protecting himself because I think he's just kind of afraid of everything. There are a lot of characters with more kind of high-minded ideals, but I think his, it's a kind of almost a visceral reaction to just being constantly afraid and feel like he's being hunted down, essentially. That makes a lot of sense. Of course, it, you know, it winds up getting him into an airlock. Yes. At the the end of all that. But yeah, yeah, I can kind of see that being his his main motivating factor. He's trying to protect himself above all. Yeah, I can see that. So this show, it's packed with like shocking moments. Is there any particular one that really got to you? I think there are a lot of them. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think, though, probably the most shocking moment is probably after. So after they discover the original Earth and they find out that it's basically the has been nuked. Uh, It's the place where the 13th colony came from, but was the Cylons who were the final five who yada, yada, yada. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, people realize that this is not the the promised land that it's supposed to be. And after that, uh, Lieutenant Duala, who Mm -hmm. clearly struggles with what's happening, but she, I mean, there've been several times essentially where you see her character in particular struggling with something, but overcome it and kind of be a very positive person. Mm -hmm. And you see, what looks like that path kind of restarting again where there's an initial shock but she's gotten over it she realized like we'll all come together you see her talking to her i think ex-husband at that yeah point, uh leodama um and them having a good time and yeah. like feeling like there's a lot of, you know a lot of positive things that are here and then she i think she she touches a photo and she touches another you know kind of necklace or something else and then she promptly essentially puts a pistol through her head and shoots herself yeah and it was such a like a jarring thing from a character who is like kind of the paragon of positivity. The show did a pretty good job, I think, of showing kind of how hopeless people felt uh, even before that scene happened. But I mm-hmm. think with that, when that happened, you kind of realize that like everything has just kind of fallen apart. And it's yeah, it continues to be like probably the one of the biggest moments that sticks out in my head because it was it felt like such a surprise and it felt like such a like how could this have happened like everything seemed like it was totally okay and right yeah they really did that moment really well in that way that you had no idea yeah that this was going to happen she she even she went on a date with apollo you right. know and and she's all dressed up and they had a great time and and then you know this happened and it, it really does give you an idea of how how far things had had fallen 
I think one of my favorites is Kara discovering the ship that was hers Mm -hmm. and her body inside of it. Uh, And that that's really, you know, because you have this mystery about Kara Thrace and that put that little twist on it that, oh my God, you know, she's back, she's alive. Mm -hmm. How is this happening? And then like, oh my God, that's her body. She's back, she's alive. How is this happening? And then that touches off the whole question of, okay, well, who is this person? What is this person? Mm -hmm. Which is is something that Kara is a a fascinating character in Starbuck. Mm -hmm. So and and she clearly has this destiny that they kind of play with throughout the series. So how do you feel about Kara? Play with is probably the right word. <laughs> I think they tease us with it they, like all the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think even some of the I read some article somewhere that they basically said like even the writers weren't quite exactly sure what to do yeah. with the character at the end because they had kind of and in fact her entire storyline was probably the one thing that was the only thing that bothered me when I watched it for the first time through because gotcha. it felt like she gets to the finale. There's you know all these questions about where she comes from, why does she see these things. Kind of some hints about, you know, maybe she's one of these these angels, like the the Six and the Voltar who occasionally pop up. Right. Maybe she's some other thing. And it, you know, in the end, she literally just disappears. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> Lee's just standing there kind of like with a stupid grin on his face. <laughs> And scene, right, and right. Credits. It's like no explanation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and it was. Yeah. I mean, it's really infuriating because it's like, why? Wait, what? She's like, she's such a good character with a really interesting backstory and yeah. kind of all these hints about what she might be. And they kind of just, when I first saw it, I felt like they kind of dropped the ball with it. I have seen, well, I've seen now Battlestar Galactica in its entirety a few times now. And over the course of time, I kind of became more and more comfortable with it. I think because in part, so part of it has to do with the fact that the reason I'm a little bit more comfortable with it is that there is, so there is definitely a a thread of religion and faith that runs throughout the entire series. That's kind of core to the being of the series. And I think actually one of my favorite lines of the entire show comes from the first season where they capture the, I think Renovan is his name. Leoben, I think. Leoben. Yeah. Okay. And Starbuck essentially is interrogating him and they're talking about his beliefs, his belief in God. And he says, you know, what is, you know, do you know what the first article of faith is? It's that you believe that there is more than what you can see and uh, and more than there's more to this world than you can see with your eyes, I think is the is the line. And this kind of idea that there's there's more to this world than these characters can can see and understand through the first, you know, through all, I think through every season, you can kind of see the gears ticking in the background. And in fact, the series, I think, does a pretty good job. Well, I should say not the series, but the a lot of the like follow up type things try to explain some of the background machinations of what was going on Mm -hmm. but there is definitely this this feeling this understanding that like this thing is happening you know we have faith in that this thing will be resolved in the end and so we're going to follow this path that's in front of us not because of logic or because we can see the reasoning but we accept that this is more than we can understand and we move forward through it you know it's the whole premise why Rosalind pitches let's go to earth it's part of the rationale why the Cylons join the humans and in the end, I kind of realized that, or maybe not realized, because realized means that there was intention behind this. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that there was intention, but sometimes the author's intentions don't matter. It's true. Um, I think Kara's thread line never being resolved as being some like clearly understandable, clearly she was actually a person of this race or this species and had these all these special powers it's kind of left as just her character was what it was and it's kind of beyond what you can understand or will know mm-hmm. and you just have to be kind of comfortable with that it felt actually fitting for an, a series whose characters is all have to go through that at some point right and all have to kind of have maybe not necessarily faith in the like kind of religious sense but at least some degree of faith that things are going to resolve the way that they hope they will because they just they don't have enough control to be able to dictate what's going to happen you know whether the fleet will survive or they'll find earth or find Hera or do these other thousand things that they do over the course of four seasons yeah that makes sense it's funny because the first time i watched Battlestar galactica i remember getting to the end and being like the writers had no idea what they were doing the whole you know the the, these are the cylons and they have a plan it's like no they didn't come on 
and that, you know, they totally wrote themselves into a corner and they came up with all this stuff and it just doesn't fit together. And it wasn't until like, you know, the second or third time that I that I watched it where it was like, well, actually, this hangs together a lot better than I thought. Like, you know, the whole thing with the final five I thought was really cheesy at the first time, but then started to kind of understand it better the next couple of times that I watched it and really get to a point where I was OK with the way that they did the yeah. final five. So what are your thoughts on the final five? So I will say but the first thing when I was watching, I was re-watching, or man, was I re-watching or was I watching it the first time? I think when I was actually watching it the first time. <laughs> so the one of the earliest episodes, another one of my favorite episodes, has to deal with, oh, uh, what's Ty's wife's name? Yes, yes. Uh, Ellen, Ellen. Ellen, Ellen Ty. Ellen yeah, Ty. you're right. Okay. One of the episodes in season one has to deal with Ellen Ty essentially being discovered on fleet and being essentially brought back to her husband, Saul Ty. Who and, was convinced that she had died right. on Caprica. Yeah. And it's it's a hilarious episode. It's like probably the funniest episode of the entire series. <laughs> but this is also happening around the time that Baltar is working on his Cylon detector and in fact is the first one to realize that Sharon, Sharon Valeri, who is Boomer, is actually a Cylon and Sharon turns out to be a sleeper agent who doesn't know that she's a Cylon and Baltar discovers this with just her in his office and is panicking essentially that he's going to get murdered by the Cylon <laughs> what she is. Right, right. Uh, and so scrambles to like essentially make the test show green that she's not a Cylon and everything's okay. And you, at the very end, they end up testing Ellen because they feel like both the president and Admiral Dama or Commander Dama at that point feel like the circumstances of her arriving on Battlestar Galactica was a little bit suspicious. So uh -huh. maybe she's a Cylon. <laughs> and, you know, one of the last lines essentially is the Angel Six telling Baltar, like, little did they know essentially that everybody passes these days. You read the test so that we can't actually tell who's a Cylon and who's not a Cylon. And right in the back of my head thinking like, oh, I bet you she's a Cylon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and I don't think that the writers ever necessarily had the intention of making her a Cylon after the fact, but I do always, whenever I see that, I remember just like, you guys got really lucky. Like, there's <laughs> clear there's no plan with this because you guys just kind of like went like, well, we can't take away any possibilities. So, you know, we'll, te we'll test her, but we'll not actually take that away. But uh, the, <laughs> I thought that the whole, I mean, the whole premise of the final five, it's kind of, it's funny in a lot of ways because it's, well, the only reason why they're kind of revered in the way that they are is essentially that they, of course, are the people who end up designing the entire modern Cylon populace, but they only are known to or only, yeah, they're only known to essentially Cavill, so the ones. And it's not clear why none of the other Cylons necessarily know who they are, whether it was kind of by their choice or whether Cavill had done something. Yeah, I think uh, it was that Cavill obscured it and made it like, oh, you can't know. Right. Nobody talks about the final five, right? So that he kind of had that knowledge as sort of, you know, some power over them. I think when I first watched through it, it felt like, well, this feels like kind of an artificial, like, I mean, like, it's a cool character development, but it also feels a little, like, why are these four particularly special? And then actually you kind of realize at the end, like, they, I mean, they're somewhat special in that they are the people who design Resurrection and the people who kind of touch off a series of events, but they're not godlike figures, essentially, that everyone from the twos through the eights thinks that they are. But that information was only known to Cavill, that they're just four kind of regular people who just happen to have the scientific knowledge about how Resurrection works. And so kind of looking back through it again, you can kind of sort of understand both the characters' reactions to being in the final five and kind of other people's reactions to them being in the final five is it's kind of weird larger-than-life figures for some people, but just regular schmucks for <laughs> most of the fleet. Um, right, right. So, yeah, I felt... <laughs> By the series end, I felt like, oh, okay, all right, that, that makes a lot of sense. But definitely watching it the first time, I was like, what the hell is this Final Five thing about? And why is this whole thing <laughs> about, like, Ellen Ty being, like, the, the final Cylon being dragged out so much? And Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> as you said, 
it's kind of clear at points that like the writers didn't necessarily have a plan, even though that that's like part of the like the lead into every single episode, right? There's a plan. There's right, a plan. right. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely yeah they definitely wandered a bit, and they're like, oh well, let's it's like affirmational language use. Like if we just say it enough times, right? We'll have, we'll have a, this is the plan. Right, right. Yeah. One of the things about the final five that I really like is that it allows us to kind of have that experience that they had in the beginning of, oh my gosh, anybody could be a Cylon. Mm -hmm. You know, this person that we have known for, you know, however many seasons, oh my goodness, they're a Cylon. Which, starting off, finding out that, like, Boomer's a Cylon, we don't really kind of have the history with those characters for that to really strike us. But then, you know, later on, having that history Mm -hmm. and being able to see that, oh my gosh, these people are a part of this story and that we've been watching for so long are not quite who we thought they were. And not quite who they thought they were either. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting dynamic. You can definitely see this the most with, I think, Ty. Out of all the, the people's reactions, because there's, I mean, different different people are kind of going through different things. There's, you know, Ellen is actually has full knowledge, essentially, of what's happened because she's gone through resurrection. She's also missed a chunk of being with the fleet because she was killed by her husband on New right, Africa. Right, right. Tori, I think, is going through her own kind of spiritual awakening or at least confusion through all this. So she's not the most clear and level-headed. She's also uh, the one that winds up being, like, the evil one. Right. There's... There's Galen, who I think doesn't know quite know what to think, which I think is pretty clear. At one point, he was talking to Admiral Adamo about upgrading the fleet with Cylon technology, and he's not. He kind of keeps fumbling between their Cylon, we're Cylon, your, our human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in which case, you know, at some point, I think Ty like just kind of snaps and is like, "You need a chart to keep this all straight." Or? <laughs> But I think actually watching watching Ty's reaction in particular, because he he definitely is one of a few people who suffers a lot on New Caprica. Yeah. And whose, I think, hatred for the Cylons is pretty pronounced throughout the entire show. I think watching him in particular is really fascinating because you see, you can definitely see part of him that's kind of hardened, softened a little bit. Mm -hmm. But also, in kind of a funny way, I think because he has this strong connection to who he kind of pre identified as in the group that, and in fact I think even when he, when they realize when they all come into the whatever room that is at least the four out of the five of them realize that they're Cylons you know he said to the other three who are kind of contemplating like what does this mean what are we who are we you know he very distinctly says like I'm still a commander on this battle star you know, I'm a member of this fleet you know I work with Bill Adama right. uh, and I'm going to be that you know the same man I was till the day that I die yeah and I think him kind of very strongly embracing who just kind of who he is, whether or not he's human or Cylon. It was really great because it kind of in kind of a fascinating way, it kind of allows you to to see like, OK, now that now that he's a member of the other side. Right. Like, what is it that he believes in? What is it that he how does he feel about humans? How does he feel about Battlestar in particular? And I think he because he's also in that position, he can kind of take a little bit more nuanced view of the conflict that exists between the humans and the Cylons. And I think at one point he kind of says, you know, it's not really the Cylons' fault or the humans' fault. That You know, at some point they're both got wrapped up into it. And at this point, it's just, it's a matter of survival. And so I'm not looking to blame either side or hate either side. It's just, we're going to be with the people who are going to allow us to live and we're going to fight against the people who are going to do us harm. Right, right. Um, and it's kind of, I think having a character like that who's so, you know, it's kind of a like only Nixon can go to China kind of thing. <laughs> only only Saul Tai can advocate <laughs> for the Cylons. Right, um, right. But it's, I think it's a very, it was a very good, powerful use of that character to be able to, particularly when the, you know, the, you have a rebel Cylon fleet trying to join the fleet and actually not just be part of the fleet in terms of a ship under the protection of Battlestar, but also taking part in its governments, also being part of its operational workforce, also being part of its military workforce, and actually being a truly integrated piece of colonial society. Right. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. (laughs) We touched a little bit about religion, uh, which is interesting because most sci-fi series, like, they won't even get close to religion. I mean, Star Trek, or uh, Star Wars, rather, has kind of some... Mm -hmm 
religious aspects in the Jedi and whatnot. Star Trek totally stays away from it. But this, it is central to mm-hmm. everything. So how do you feel about the, the cosmology of this show? I I really like it. I know that there's a lot of sci-fi that kind of look at, at religion as being something that early societies go through and then kind of abandon as being, you know, essentially a weakness in or a, a, a growth stage in getting up to the cosmos. Right, right. Kind of a primitive sort right. of thing. Yeah. Which I think is also maybe a limited understanding of religion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I I do very much appreciate that obviously people look to religion for a particular set of answers. And it is kind of interesting to see even, you know, a very sophisticated society like the, you know, who have mastered interstellar travel and the Cylon Society, which is very, very advanced, see them still have religious feelings, questions, and actually seeing, I mean, you see throughout the show that there are pieces of religion that are, there are pieces of it that are the storytelling aspect. Hmm. And you can definitely see that there are pieces of the storytelling aspect that are true. You know, the the tomb of Athena, the path to earth, the, you know, scrolls of Pythica, the dying leader, and the caravan right, of right. the stars. And some of these things are, I mean, they're designed by the show, right, to be lined up in such a way. But there are other pieces that are kind of more recalling the history of things that have happened. Not just as a matter of recording it for posterity, but also this kind of one of the central themes of, of Galactica being that, you know, at least of the religion is that all this has happened before yep. and all of this will happen again. And in fact, there's a very big part of the religious philosophies of, I think, both groups, actually, is realizing that history is cyclical, doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, really only by kind of learning and understanding the past can you kind of move forward into the future. Mm-hmm. Religion as, as a way, as a, as a means to understand the past, I mean, it's definitely a, a piece of a religion in modern society, right? This kind of understanding mm-hmm. the past to understand the present. I think also the inclusion of religion is kind of a not a not a means to explain everything you don't understand because of course as soon as you can under- explain it then that ceases to be I guess religion but also just having faith in things kind of a belief that things will kind of work out it's interesting it was very cool to kind of actually watch the various characters in the series essentially kind of grapple with this about you know what does faith mean what does religion mean what does it mean to kind of have faith in something without having evidence of it and realizing that there are even in an advanced society, there are things and questions that people have that just can't necessarily be answered by technology alone, which I think is actually one of the best central, I mean, the as it was explained to me once upon a time, uh, <laughs> you know, one, of the, one of the central premises of science fiction, right, is to kind of examine and understand man's uh, interaction with technology. Right, right. Uh, and I think understanding the religion's role in that and, and how that interfaces in that, there's only so much that technology can provide to you um, and it doesn't necessarily answer all of the religious questions and it's not a shortcoming it's just it's a limitation that exists and so those those questions don't go away and so religion doesn't go away in a in a sci-fi universe I thought it was really I don't know the only word that comes to mind is cool uh, <laughs> my wife is the English major not me uh, <laughs> But, uh, I, yeah, I thought it was, it was really, it, it made it feel much more real, much more visceral, because it's not just, because not everybody, you know, looks to technology for answers. Some people, they look to religion, other people look to other things. But, yeah, I think it's, I, under, I understand why sci-fi writers are wary of writing that in, because there's a lot of things that you can do wrong or can be contrived, like the ending with Starbuck. Um, <laughs> or at least can feel that way. Right, um, right. But I, but I do think that, that its inclusion is actually part of what makes Battlestar feel so real. Because I think without it, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't feel quite as, yeah, wouldn't feel quite as visceral. Yeah, quite as real yeah. and human, really. Yeah. Even though, like, you know, the Cylons are probably more religious than the humans. <laughs> the, I mean, well, you know, there, somewhat. There's definitely, you know, a scale of that, right? The, yeah, the, yeah. The ones, the Father Father Cavill's. Father Cavill's, there we go. yeah. Are definitely on the, like, super far agnostic <laughs> side. Yeah, which is, which is funny because they're the ones who, you know, are, are posing as right. the priests. And they're the ones that are like, nah, this whole God thing is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas the sixes are very, very devout, really. Mm. Which is, is interesting that the sixes are the ones that uh, the angel, one of the angels, mm. right, is a six. 
But then you wonder, you know, well, yeah, but like the other angel is Gaius Baltar, right? right? And really Gaius Baltar's evolution throughout the show is really interesting, particularly when it comes to religion. Mm. Because at the beginning, he's like, well, I'm a scientist and therefore I don't believe in religion and this is stupid. But then by the end, he, he kind of starts getting into it kind of as a way to manipulate people. But I think by the very end, he's like honestly, honestly believes the things that he's promoting, which is, is a really interesting, you it's, know, change in his character. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I think very early on, he, what would I say? He does start to believe a little bit in religion, but it's clear that he only believes in it because he fears punishment from God, right? Yeah, the, yeah. His whole forced religious awakening comes about because somebody, uh, a six who's not the angel six or the six that he previously knew, but yet another six pretends to have evidence against him that is him planting a bomb in one of the colonial defense centers right, that helps right. to, you know, essentially trigger the set of events that leads to the exodus. And there's no looking at it from a non-Gaius Baltar <laughs> viewpoint. <laughs> you know that that six essentially is, is a Cylon. You know that the evidence is fabricated because the way that Baltar, of course, helped the Cylons was not by right. It wasn't bomb. that. No. <laughs> um, and you figure that at some point this is all going to be resolved. And in fact, if you never see any of the parts that involve Baltar, it kind of actually does follow a fairly logical progression of they're trying to enhance the photo. They enhance the photo and they find that it's Gaius, but also once it's enhanced, they also notice that it has these markers that it's been fabricated. And you know, you look at that and you kind of think like, well, okay, all right, that makes sense. Somebody tried to fabricate evidence but then cover their tracks by doing this extra step that makes storytelling sense but from Baltar's perspective who has you know no knowledge of any of this other stuff that's happening with Gaeta and, and the work that he's doing and is I think just panicked especially after Rosalind confronts him and says that you know I knew all along that you were a traitor right right which of course she doesn't necessarily know at that <laughs> point but is not incorrect right right um, and then later on she something triggers a memory that she saw him right. with a six at one point when yeah. she's yeah when she's in the process of dying yeah uh, which, yeah yeah Gaius actually manages to save her from but you see him at at a certain point kind of have this forced confession and repentance but it's never you know it's never out of like any sort of positivity it's always out of fear right and in fact there is throughout season one it's always kind of a fearful thing and most of the positivity that he gets is directly from six who he doesn't necessarily, you know, he doesn't view as God. He just views her as some sort of entity that is connected to the person that he knew down on Caprica. And on, you know, in season two, you definitely see him kind of start being a little bit more manipulative, start pushing not so much the religious aspects, but not being, let's call it the best person he could be. Uh, <laughs> and in season three, he faces the consequences of, of a lot of those decisions. And again, I think falls back to religion because I think one part he's afraid, one part he's kind of working towards his own survival. And it's kind of, yeah, it's only really towards, really towards the end of season four. In the beginning of season four, you see him beginning to kind of realize that he's really not a good person and coping with that a little bit, that he is a, very flawed human being and also realizing he is not as throughout i think most of the series you can see that he's very full of himself yes very highly of himself <laughs> and i think in season four he realized like no i really have not as much to offer this world as i thought i did right um, right and one of the first moments that you see him actually be like actually happy is he, so he ends up on the on the rebel base star because of a whole slew of things that happens. He ends up back on Caprica where this religious cult that he had quasi-founded um, <laughs> or kind of formed around him, if we're being honest. They've become a little bit more militant. Uh, they definitely are, you know, hoarding resources for their group. And as a way of taking control, he, you know, tries to overtake the person who has kind of established authority over this group by saying like, oh, well, hoarding all these resources while we have, you know, these refugees starving. Right, and right. Then, you know, it's immoral and how dare you guys. You know? <laughs> and I mean, it's clearly he's doing this to, you know, to basically 
build up more power. And of course, it kind of comically fails because then people with bigger guns end up, you know, showing up and, and taking, taking all their, all their stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's getting kind of lectured at and, and people are kind of squabbling in the background. And you see him have this conversation with the, with the Angel Six who basically asks him like, but, you know, how did you feel about doing that? And he said, like, I actually felt really good. Each piece that I gave away kind of like made me, you know, it was like almost lightening the load that, was, that existed on me and kind of actually having call it like an actual true spiritual moment and kind of feeling like maybe this is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing and in fact kind of over the course of there's not a ton of episodes where you see this kind of transformation but it is it is very interesting to kind of look back at all the things all the mistakes that he had to make and all the all the things the fact that he had to be punished for right before kind of realizing a little bit better like the things that matter and why it was exactly that he was such a jackass for (laughs) (laughs) for like most most of the series yeah Yeah. he's he's never quite like a villain in the same way that like tom zarek is right but he's definitely very self-interested and always scheming towards himself and you know people who want to come along with him that's fine but really it's being very self-centered person to kind of realize i'm like oh there's more than just me in this equation it's also interesting how when he does kind of establish that cult right there's definitely this creepy like charles manson vibe to it you know (laughs) Because it's all these women who are all, like, you know, Mm. fawning over him and everything, which, you know, is interesting because he definitely at that point, you know, has reached this kind of point where he's able to believe what he's saying. But then at the same time, you have this kind of doubt of, okay, but are you actually doing this in order to just, you know, sleep with all of these women? It's like he's, he's never, it's never pure one way or the other. He is never purely evil. He is never purely good. He's just this guy who's muddling through and is a jerk and near the end kind of comes to terms with the fact that he's a jerk. Yeah, he's I mean, he's constantly doing a lot of good things, but for very wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the I think the best example, actually, is the, you know, he writes this my struggles my yeah something, yeah yeah um that actually you know correctly identifies that there's class structure issues with the way that the fleet is constructed and there are people who make decisions at the top who are not necessarily accountable to anybody right. you know people who get stuck down below who never see the light of day thinks about this in the context of his own upbringing on Aralon, which you know you it's a farm with. planet right and yeah. then he like his has worked very hard to get rid of this accent that he used to have and it's, you know, you see inside of there a little sliver of, like, he does actually realize, like, there are some significant problems that exist in the society. And he, he you know, wrote this book or this whatever it was. Um, not quite a book, but. Like a pamphlet. Yeah. Or multiple pamphlets. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you realize, like, no, but he's only doing this because he doesn't want to get the death sentence for having been, you know, yeah. president and collaborating <laughs> with the Cylons. It's just like, why? You know, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting. And kind of it, it, when you think of it in the context of, you know, religion, there's this idea that God uses flawed people in order to further good in the world Mm. and you know he's the one who finds out how to save president roslin by giving her some of the blood from a cylon human baby he does kind of champion the worker in in ways that that really needed to be done Uh, so there's you know there's a lot of stuff that he does that is really good while at the same time he's this very flawed and conflicted character so it's really interesting kind of watching him and and how he works and the ways that he rationalizes mm-hmm. things. While at the same time, you know, he's doing some good. It's not easy and it's not simple. And that's that's good. That's the way it's kind of supposed to be. Yeah. He is a very good kind of gray character. He's, yeah. He does a lot of things that are, like I said, he does a lot of things that are good, a lot of things that are out of self-interest. And especially in watching his interactions with people and who is on his particular side at any one given time, actually following the events of him getting robbed from this group when he was giving food to the refugees who happen to be right. there one of the one of the first things he does essentially is petition flee uh, and adama to give them guns right <laughs> <laughs> it's like mm, is this is this really a good idea yeah, it's, yeah i mean it's it's kind of a like do we yeah uh and I, 
I think every single one of the people, and in fact, I think Lee tells him this point blank when Baltar basically accuses him of religious discrimination and of, you know, failing some piety test that Lee has constructed. Lee basically comes back with like, I don't think you failed the Lee Adama test. I think you failed the guy's Baltar <laughs> test. He's <laughs> like, you, you know you don't believe all this crap that you're talking about. Right, like, right. Maybe you're trying to do some good, but like, don't pretend that you're not self-interested in this. Right. And the power that comes from that yeah yeah he's a really good character i he's, really enjoy watching yeah him. yeah he's a great character <laughs> <laughs> he's very entertaining so president laura roslin mm-hmm. is a really interesting character too because she also in a lot of ways she's not pure there's some things that she does that they're really morally questionable. There are times when she keeps things secret that she probably shouldn't keep secret. And there are times when she's being self-interested. Mm. How do you feel about her as a character and how she grows throughout the series? Laura's character I definitely really enjoy. Part of the thing that, I, that I've really appre- or enjoyed about watching her character actually is watching the... So there were, there were some things about her character that I felt kind of... She felt a little at times... Not contrived, but like there, there are pieces of her character that kind of feel forced in the very beginning. I mean, she does; she steps up in a significant way, but you see that she has that she has a tremendous amount of leadership capability, mm-hmm. and it's a little surprising for someone who's effectively Secretary of Education. Right, right. She's been not, a, she was a kindergarten teacher. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's I mean they make a point of, of highlighting the fact that you know she yeah, she's just a kindergarten teacher who right. da, da, da. and so it felt it felt like a little bit of a forced contrast when I watched you know when I originally watched the series the first time through and then when you get to the finale where you actually get to kind of see what her life was before essentially all of this stuff happened including you know the death of i think several of her family members yeah yeah her um, sisters uh one of which was pregnant right. and yeah and the kind of ensuing things that she does after that you kind of at least i felt i understood her so much better after kind of seeing that background because prior to that prior to that the only thing that you know of is that she has cancer and it's not clear i mean you know people who face serious illnesses of course have can have a lot of strength but it seemed it seemed very strange that like she was ready to kind of plunge into this head first and kind of seeing the background of that a little bit was like oh okay all right this makes a little bit more sense like i understand the character a lot more and also kind of understanding that she's i mean she does have a lot of strength but she also carries the weight of her actions even if she doesn't like them with Mm -hmm. her you know the first non-pilot episode 33 they have to destroy the or they end up destroying the olympic carrier because they believe that basically it's the thing that the cylons are using to track the fleet right um and the fleet is kind of becoming exhausted and is running out of resources and just isn't able to keep up speed and you see her order the destruction of the carrier which so in the original series when they i guess i think it's starbuck and lee who fly alongside the olympic carrier it looks like it's completely dead inside and there are no people moving. The original script I found out actually had people inside the carrier moving around. Oh my gosh. But they decided not to show it because they thought that that would be way too dark. That is pretty dark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it it does, I mean, it is, the way that the characters essentially treat it is the, you know, it is a fully populated ship. Right, right. Full of a thousand humans or something. You see Lee struggle with this clearly and right after the aftermath of all of it. And you never see Rosalind ever really struggle with it which seems kind of weird until you hear essentially a little bit later that you know essentially the president Adar who was the previous president anytime essentially there was a death in administration you know he had written a piece of paper um, and placed it in his desk as a way of remembering um, effectively the mistakes or what he felt were at least casualties uh, that he was responsible for along the way. Right, and right. And you see that, you know, she has written a piece of paper or Olympic carrier on there. And you kind of, you realize that she definitely puts on a very, she knows that sometimes she has to be strong for the kind of the sake of showing a strong face, which I think is definitely one of the things that the fleet really needs throughout most of the series. In fact, probably one of the biggest breakdowns of the fleet actually happens right after the discovery of Earth 
where she kind of recedes into her life with Admiral Adama and mm -hmm. ceases to functionally be president, you see everything fall apart. And I think that is a direct reflection of the fact that her, the fleet essentially needs her strength to kind of stay together and stay alive. Mm -hmm. And I think even though she's a morally complex character, but it seems pretty clear that at almost every point, the decisions that she's making are not unlike a few other characters, are really motivated about protecting the fleet, keeping everyone safe, and wanting to essentially preserve the species. There are several points where she does things that are kind of manipulative. I think, you know, at one point when she's fleeing from the coup that Adama had set up, and they're plotting on how exactly to take back power. You know, at one point she explicitly says, you know, I'm going to play the, the religion card. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a kind of almost like a caricature of how you imagine someone doing something like that. Right, right. Um, obviously very manipulative to use, you know, religious subtext in order to say that you're the preordained president of, uh, of the 12 colonies, or at least of the fleet. But, you know, it is made clear at several points that, like, her, her character always does these things because it's really trying to protect the common good. And I think there's only a handful of times where I think she really kind of crosses the line beyond that. But you see, like, the I think the best example is actually when Baltar is injured and actually confesses to Rosalind that he was actually responsible for the silence attacking because he had given administrative access to the defense net. And you see her basically beginning to strip off his bandages and allow him to bleed to death. Right. And she... It's not entirely clear how long he's allowed to be like that, but it's clearly more than just like five seconds. And she, over the course of a couple of minutes and through kind of a spiritual experience, realizes like that can't be the person that I am. Like I can't, this isn't being done for protecting anyone. This is really being done out of anger and I have to, you know, let that go. And so, you know, she she scrambles to, to rebandage him and to save him. And so you see this this moment of compassion from her that's immediately juxtaposed by her screaming at the top of her lungs at Gaeta and Zarek, who have taken command of the Battlestar, and basically threatening to destroy the ship, even if it basically means destroying herself in the process. Right, right. Which it was a, I mean, it was a really <laughs> cool, interesting contrast to see that this character, who who definitely has like a more, you know, softer side, have this very like strong and not artificial force of personality at times. Who, yeah, is very capable of getting the things that she wants, and is a remarkably gifted politician throughout the entire series. Yeah, it's true, which um, is surprises everybody basically, because they're like, "Who is this person? This kindergarten teacher?" Right. But she was actually able to, to take charge and negotiate with people and make agreements and whatnot, which is, you know, amazing. Yeah. Almost stole an election. Almost stole an election, <laughs> but decided not to, you know. I, she didn't decide not to. What, well, who was it? Because I know that it was a plan was in motion, basically, to make sure that Gaius Baltar didn't win. And I'm pretty sure that it was Laura who said, no, we can't do this. No, so she... No? No. Okay. So the, what, she, what happens is... So I, I think the, the final tally on it is that basically Tori and uh, Saul, Saul Tai, conspire to swap out some box of, of ballots right. uh, to swing the election. Rosalind tells Tori, because I think Tori mentions to her at some point in passing, like, you know, we'll, we can do whatever, you know, we'll do whatever we can to stop them. Mm -hmm. And Laura gives her the go ahead to use whatever means necessary right, right. to make sure that he doesn't win. And is completely comfortable moving forward with it until Adama confronts her about it. Gotcha. And says yeah. that, because Adama is the one essentially that won't let it pass and that wants to follow the law. <laughs> right, right. This isn't the way we do things. Yeah. But Rosalind is actually the one who, Rosalind is partially, at least partially responsible for having fixed the election. Uh, and in fact, at some point while they're down on New Caprica, Tom Zarek yeah. asks <laughs> Rosalind, did you try to fix the election? I think it was actually when they were like about to be executed right. by Cylons. Yeah. And she basically says like, yeah. And Tom Zarek says like, yeah, I really wish you had gone yeah. through with that. <laughs> She's why, like, yeah, me too. Why did you stop? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so much better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're not wrong, right? No. Like the, 
probably one of the worst events that happens over the course of the series is the occupation that happens on New Caprica. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know, you I think you could very reasonably argue that the fleet would have been in much better shape had Baltar not been allowed to win the presidency. Yeah. But she didn't want to win that election just because she wanted to hold on to power. She was actually very much fearful of the consequences of Baltar both taking the presidency and also of landing on this particular planet, New Caprica, uh, which she did not believe was going to be the safe haven that it was being made to be by Baltar and didn't think that it was an issue that should be decided by politics. Yeah, but even before the Cylons showed up, it was such a hard scrabble life of people trying to, you know, to make a life work Mm -hmm. on the surface of this planet. And then the Cylons show up and like, you know, Gaius Baltar folds immediately. And it's just so, you know, it's like he's very easy to control. They just give him a lot of like alcohol and women and then, you know, force him to sign stuff, basically. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we touched on the ending a little bit. The ending is incredibly polarizing. There are a lot of people who are like, what the heck was that? And then, you know, people are like, well, you know. There's a certain amount of, of, you know, interesting stuff going on. So how do you feel about the ending? So I didn't like it the first time I watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to watch it a couple of times in order to feel comfortable with it completely. And in fact, I felt more comfortable with it after having, because I watched watched the original series through, but there's a number of like kind of spinoff movies, shorts that effectively stack up to an episode where they kind of try to fill in a little bit of the blanks and you get a little bit better feeling of kind of what's going on. And so the watching the last episode now, it's kind of like, no, that this is actually, this is the way it was supposed to end. It's not intentional, but <laughs> I did like it in that it is a complete ending. There are not necessarily loose threads that are left open, save for the thing with Kara Thrace, which I, I may have made peace with. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel more comfortable with. Granted, some of the things are kind of waved off as being like, well, you know, we'll just trust essentially that, you know, the silence just won't return because they've been granted their freedom. And a few other kind of, we'll call them niceties to kind of clean up the ending of the of the show in the last, like, you know, half hour of the last episode. I mean, that kind of stuff is understandable because it's just, you know, you're trying to wrap up a series and so you want, you want to have everything kind of tied up as nicely as you can. But I think the ending really did a lot of justice to a lot of characters and kind of made... One of the things that I really like about Battlestar Galactica in general is that it's not prone to having a lot of spinoffs. I mean, there are there are these kind of side... They tried. Yeah. They, well, so they tried... I mean, they really tried once, right? Which right, was with Caprica. Caprica, right. Um, but Caprica, Caprica was also a very different thing. Well, it was more of a prequel, right? It was a it was a prequel, but it really didn't deal with. I mean, it kind of it had the Cylons in it, and they you know they were a major building up to that was a major component of the first season. So it was kind of like it was in the same universe and had some of the same families essentially, but felt very like it did not feel like it was a just a sequel or a, or a separate spin-off type thing. And so I've seen a little bit of Caprica. I, it's okay. I think someone at some point described it as like, you know, Dallas for science fiction fans, which, I mean, <laughs> you know, most people under the age of 50 are like, Who, what's Dallas? Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's got, it's kind of a, it's got a weird soap opera-ish theme to it. It's got some interesting sci-fi aspects to it. But the story itself, the story itself feels fairly complete. Mm-hmm. And even though there are a couple of things that are a little bit questionable, forced, you know, how do they discover this new Earth? Where What happens to Starbuck? They're also the kinds of things that, like, like I said, because the show, I think, has this religious theme and kind of being able to have faith in things or just understand that you won't necessarily comprehend everything. And it's only there are only a couple of places where you can say, like, well, but I didn't understand this piece or I didn't understand that piece. It's kind of like, well, that's it's okay because mm-hmm. I understand this and I understand that. And this war comes to an end in a way that, like, actually makes a lot of sense and the good guys kind of managed to get away it's a very long-winded way of saying like i didn't like it at first but i think i like it now right right (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean it, it is different 
from a lot of series in the fact that it just wrapped everything up. Yeah, you know, but and I then think that's good. Yeah, you I think it's good too. You don't want too. a series that just kind of lets things linger, right? Uh, and I think it's it's definitely not a show that needs a sequel. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. Well, you know, and the way that they that they did it, it's kind of impossible for the yes. show to have a sequel. We, I guess we are living the sequel. Yes, uh... exactly. Yeah, because you know the ending is that oh my goodness, the world that we're in right now right. is the world that they wound up in when humanity was new right. on on our earth and then it ends up with Jimi Hendrix singing you know all along the watchtower which is the song that activated the mm-hmm. the silence so so usually when i finish the podcast my last question is what would you like to see next in this mm-hmm. show and obviously for that reason there really isn't anything yes. you could see next in the show <laughs> There, there have been the webisodes, and then there was Caprica. Do you think there's anything else that can be gotten from this universe? Do you think, you know, nope, they've done it all, and, and they just should just leave it alone? How do you feel about that? I think if they're going to revisit the universe, I think at this point it would need a reboot, not, right. a, not a like a sequel or anything else like that. Because I think, I think they've actually done a reasonably good job of having a story that's fully encapsulated and having adjacent stories that kind of explore kind of side pieces of what's going on. There are really not a whole lot of questions that I have about like, well, what did this character do here? Why was this thing or why was that thing? Right. Save for a couple of things here and there with a couple of episodes that weren't great. Uh, (laughs) I'm thinking of the one with Leah Dama where he has this weird infatuation with essentially a prostitute who looks like what may have been an ex-wife or something. Yeah, and like she has a kid and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 there are it's not that like every question got answered because I have no idea what was going on with that, but I right. just don't want to hear that story. No. Um, <laughs> and so I think I think at this point actually to do it justice, especially because they've already had like episodes that that talk about the first Cylon War, or at least they've they've done these kind of spinoff webisodes. Webisodes, yeah. Um, yeah, it needs if you're gonna do it again, I think it really needs a, a reboot. But I don't really think it needs a reboot. Yeah, I yeah. Think it's, you know, like it, it itself was already a reboot. So, which I think was the I had watched the old one. I've watched a couple of episodes of the old one. I'm very glad that they decided to reboot because <laughs> it, it it needed a modern update with maybe non 70s style. Yeah, acting yeah. And writing. I have not seen it. My husband said there was something about like there was a kid with like a robot and stuff like that, and it's like yeah, that's <laughs> <it's> very 70s. <laughs> Yeah, so. I think I'm content with the way that the series ended. So, yeah, I, I much rather see it, say, rebooted in, like, 20 years. Um, right. <laughs> because I think, I mean, even though it's, it didn't run nearly as long as some science fiction shows run, right? It only ran for four seasons. I think they got the entirety of the story that they needed to or should have told right, uh, right. in that period of time. And, you know, you've done everything you're supposed to do. There's no need to go. Right. Don't try to milk it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.